Well, every person I've ever met, and this is true for all of us, whether you're a Christian, whether you're not a Christian, uh, has in the inside of their heart and their head what I would call a don't mess with me switch. Uh, how many of us know what I'm talking about? Uh, that, that thing in you, it's that person, it's that coworker, it's that family member that uh, they can just bloop, just send you into a rage. It's like something goes off. And uh, it could be when your boss walks in Friday, five o'clock, and dumps a bunch of extra work on you, just bloop, just, all of a sudden you just, uh, the don't mess with me switch just flips. And uh, we all have this, doesn't matter how saved you are, uh, <laughs> Uh, how long you've been a Christian, it's inside every one of us, all of us. It's, uh, it could be that moment your husband you know, rolls his eyes or your wife rolls her eye, and that just switch, it just flips, and all of a sudden, uh, it's as if you become somebody else. Some of us have spent years apologizing for a moment where bloop, just the switch flipped, and we did something, we said something. Uh, it's just, and we talk about people this way. We'll say, man, you know, Tammy, she's really sweet, but woo, do not get on her bad side. Um, <laughs> She may look sweet with that Louis Vuitton purse and her hair all did, but man, just, uh, you make her mad. Whew, not good. Uh, Ed, he's a nice guy, but wow, does he have a dark side. You know, <laughs> we'll talk about people this way. We'll talk about ourselves this way. I don't know what came over me. I don't know what happened. Uh, it was almost, they made me so mad. Uh, it was almost as if a switch just flipped in my head and heart. And uh, we, we all have this. this, it's true for you, it's true for me. Uh, some of us, isn't it true, it's easier to locate this. Uh, it's easier for this to go off and for you to go into a rate. As some of us, every morning commute to work. I mean, just, bloop, you know, just constant, you know, you're not gonna merge with me, you know, not this lane, you know. You become the John Wayne of the road, you know, you just, just constantly just going off. Some of us live with people where you just constantly uh, walk on eggshells, just hoping not to bump into their switch and set them off, the don't mess with me switch. Others of us, it takes a lot, but you can get there. Others of us, you know, you talk about people this way, man, dad, he's a, he's a slow burn, but man, you do not want to be in the room when bloop, that switch goes off. It just, uh, it is not a pretty sight. And we all have this. And it might be when somebody messes with your money. It might be when somebody messes with your family. Uh, it, it could be over something much smaller than that. But we all have a don't mess with me switch inside of our head and inside of our heart. And I want to talk about that today. I want to explore uh, what do you do when your switch goes off? Uh, how do you respond to those people in your life? That when they enter the room, when they say that thing, when they roll their eyes, whatever it is, uh, your switch flips. What do you do in those moments with the people who can hurt you, cause you pain? How do you respond in those moments? If you have a Bible, let's turn to the book of Exodus chapter 21. Exodus chapter 21. Genesis, Exodus chapter 21. And we've been looking together over the last few weeks at the life of a man named Samson. And Samson's one of the 12 judges in the history of the nation of Israel, told, uh, his story's told in the book of Judges. And uh, at this particular time in the national timeline of Israel, the national world timeline, uh, there would be different oppressors that would rise up, different oppressors would rise up, the Midianites, the Moabites, and different judges would step in, and they would begin uh, to, to bring justice, bring healing, bring uh, restoration to the people of God. So Samson's one of these judges. He does some good things. He does some destructive things. We've looked at this uh, last week. Steve did a great job just talking about isolation and how uh, because Samson had cut him off from friendship, and community, uh, he was on a destructive path. Micah did a great job a couple weeks ago talking about pride, just destroying 
his life and, and that we all struggle with that. And so uh, today I want to look at what he does when his switch goes off. But Samson lives under a code, and at this particular time, there's a rule in place for how justice is served and how justice should be weighed, the scales of justice. It says this, uh, Exodus chapter 21, verse 23. But if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. Now, this sounds brutal uh, to you and to, to me. In fact, Jesus comes along later and says, uh, you've heard it said eye for an eye, but I'm telling you, love your enemies, a different standard. So we're not underneath this law, but this was the law at the time of Samson. This is the, what the, the Hebrew people, the Jewish people were underneath. Uh, because essentially, and you can read through Exodus 21, there's all kinds of uh, fascinating rules for how to uh, weigh justice and what to do. There's application for if your bull uh, kills somebody else's bull. Uh, I'm serious, this is in there. Um, all kinds of application for the Texas State Fair. Just, just great information here. And uh, here he's saying eye for eye, tooth for tooth, because essentially uh, this was a world where if somebody you know, killed your chicken, you would burn their house down. Uh, people weren't weighing justice appropriately. And so we, we all have this tendency, don't we? we? We don't weigh pain on the same scale as the person that injured us. Uh, we never perceive the injury the same. And so we always have this tendency to hit back twice as hard. And finally, God says, enough, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. This is the rule. Uh, this is a way we need to weigh justice. And so Samson lives underneath uh, this eye for eye uh, sort of system uh, of how justice should be dealt. Turn with me to the book of Judges, chapter 15. Judges, chapter 15, over a few books. Now, in Judges, chapter 14, uh, Samson gets married to a woman he wasn't supposed to, a Philistine woman, and uh, the wedding goes about as bad as a wedding can go. Uh, Samson ends up killing about 30 of the wedding guests. Uh, not something you'd read about in Modern Bride magazine. Uh, and uh, the next chapter, chapter 15, kicks off with Samson going, we assume, to make some sort of amends or reconciliation with the bride, and this is where uh, the story kicks off. Judges chapter 15, verse 1. Oh, we need to rededicate him. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Just get, my kids are way worse. Don't even worry about it. My kids have burned down half the restaurants in this town. So, don't. Um, Judges chapter 15, verse 1. Later on, at the time of wheat harvest, Samson took a young goat and went to visit his wife. A romantic gesture, I'm assuming, of some sort. Uh, box of chocolates, check. Young goat, check. Uh, he said, I'm going to my wife's room. But her father, the bride's father, would not let him go in. It might have something to do with the whole 30 people slaughtered thing. Verse 2. I was so sure you hated her, the father said, that I gave her to your companion. Isn't her younger sister more attractive? You can't make this stuff up. Take her <laughs> instead. Uh, now, we could debate this father's parenting techniques all day. But this is a civil dispute, uh, Samson and the father-in-law. Samson has a choice to make in this moment. His switch flips. He gets angry. How dare you? This was my wife. How dare you? There's this moment that you felt that I felt where you all of a sudden, the switch flips, the don't mess with me switch goes off, and Samson has a choice to make. Notice what he does. 
in the very next scene. It says, Samson said to them, this time I have a right to get even with the Philistines. The father-in-law was a Philistine. I will really harm them. You ever felt that way before? Verse four, so he went out and caught 300 foxes, like you do, and then tied them tail to tail in pairs. He then fastened a torch to every pair of tails. This had to take hours. Verse five, lit the torches and let the foxes loose in the standing grain of the Philistines. He burned up the shocks and standing grain together with the vineyards and the olive groves. Uh, Is this eye for an eye? No, this is, uh, you know, you cut my finger off, I'm gonna take off your whole arm. This is just brutal. He essentially, what Samson does is uh, grain and wheat, this is central to their way of life, the olive groves, this is their economy. Samson essentially destroys the economy of the Philistines. He wrecks the Dow Jones of Philistia. He just decimates it in this moment. Is this eye for an eye? No, this is, this is brutal, what he does. And I, I would argue what he does is actually pretty genius. Uh, if you've ever seen a fox run, you know they're, they're pretty fast. And so he ties the tails together and he sets them out to run and destroy the crops. Uh, isn't it true, it's, it's true for me, that we become the most creative in our life when we're the most angry? Uh, when it comes to getting revenge on someone, when it comes to striking back, when someone's hurt you, caused you pain, uh, you don't need a Pinterest board for that. <laughs> you, you know, we know how to seek revenge. The moments that we get the most angry, this is when we become our most creative. Something taps into our heart where we just get, so, we just know, we just innately just respond. And so San, he gets so creative when he gets so angry, just like you, uh, just like me. When I was in high school, uh, I played uh, on the football team and I'll pause for laughter, but uh, <laughs> um, he, uh, uh, I was on the football team, and uh, the softball team uh, broke into our locker room, and they took all of our cleats, and they placed them in a big pile in the middle of the locker room, and so now it was a bunch of 15, 16-year-old guys, you know, going through these cleats, which all were, you know, looked the exact same, trying to find which cleat was which, and we were so frustrated. Uh, we sat on it for a couple weeks, <laughs> And uh, we found out the softball team was having a spend the night party at one of the, someone's house. And so we went there in the middle of the night and we took off all the license plates on their cars. <laughs> and we put it in a big pile in the middle, because who has their license plate memorized? And so we put it in a pile in the middle of the cul-de-sac. Uh, I haven't had an idea this good since I was 16. I mean, this was like <laughs> the height of my creative power. And <laughs> because we get so creative when it comes to revenge, don't we? When someone's hurt us, when someone's caused us pain, uh, we know how to inflict a wound. We know, man, we know how to hit back. And so Samson, he's gonna get revenge. But the problem is, uh, the Philistines are not gonna be very happy that their entire economy's been wrecked. And so this happens, verse six. When the Philistines asked who did this, they were told Samson, the Timnonite's son-in-law, because his wife was given to his companion. And so the Philistines have to have this moment. It's like, wait, wait a minute over a civil dispute, now their switch is getting flipped because this is what happens when it comes to revenge. When you hit somebody and you cause them pain, what is gonna happen to them? Their switch is gonna flip. And the Philistines have to be thinking, this is an eye for an eye. He caused all this damage to our national economy over this, over a civil dispute. And now the Philistines, because some of us have felt this, you, you inflicted a wound. What happened? The other person is now gonna pick up a sword. They're gonna enter in 
to the battle. Their switch has been flipped. This is what happens to the Philistines. So notice what they do. Verse six, or yes, the end of verse six. So the Philistines, they went up and they burned her, the bride, and her father to death. It's escalating. It's escalating. It's escalating. Verse seven, Samson said to them, since you've acted like this, I swear that I won't stop until I get my revenge on you. Some of you feel this way. There's a family. I'm not going to stop. I'm going to even the score. I'm going to get back. They are going to know what they've done was wrong. Verse 8, he attacked them viciously and slaughtered many of them. Then he went down and stayed in a cave at the Rock of Edom. Verse 9, the Philistines went up and camped in Judah. Spreading out near Lehi, the people of Judah asked, why have you come to fight us? In other words, the Israelites now, these are Samson's people. Uh, they open their eyes and they look around and there's a bunch of Philistines holding swords around. They're going, whoa, 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 why are you here to fight us? What have we done to you? And all of a sudden, they begin to realize, and because this is how revenge works, isn't it? It starts to widen. It's the, the circle gets bigger and bigger. More people get involved. Some of you are involved, or some of you have involved a coworker, a family member, in a dispute. Some of you are involved in a dispute right now. And, and you're, you have that feeling, why am I even involved in this? It has to do with somebody back there, a coworker in the logistics department. You know, it has to do with somebody. How did I get swept up in this? And the Israelites are going, whoa. Why have you come to fight us? We've come to take Samson prisoner, they answered, to do to him as he did to us. You felt that way lately? Friend, family member? I'm just gonna do to them what they did to me. We're gonna settle this thing. Verse 11, then 3,000 men the geography's widening. The amount of people are widening. Now you have a whole militia involved. 3,000 men from Judah, the Israelites, went down to the cave at the Rock of Edom and said to Samson, uh, don't you realize the Philistines are rulers over us? What have you done to us? Uh, some of you are involved in a dispute right now that has nothing to do with you, and you want to say that to a parent. You want to say that to a cohort. Why have you involved me in this? How did I get swept up in this? He answered, this is Samson speaking, I merely did to them what they did to me. You felt that way before? I was justified. I had a reason. Now notice, this isn't eye for an eye. He's not doing to them what they'd done to him. He's paying them back a hundred times worse. It's our tendency, it's your tendency, it's my tendency. We want to hit back three times. It's hard. Verse 12, they said to him, we've come to tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines. Samson said, swear to me, he's talking to his own people here, that you won't kill me yourselves. Verse 13, agreed, they answered, we will only tie you up and hand you over to them. We will not kill you. So they bound him, and with two new ropes, they led him from the rock. As he approached Lehi, the Philistines came towards him, shouting, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax, and the bindings dropped from his hands. Finding the fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it, and he struck down a thousand men. Then Samson said, with a donkey's jawbone, I have made donkeys of them. Uh, if you're reading from the King James, you might want to explain to the people around you why you're laughing. With a donkey's jawbone, I have killed a thousand men. Verse 17, when he finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone, and the place was called Ramath Lehi, or Jawbone Hill. Notice how it escalates. Notice the flow, the movement of the story. 
It starts as a civil dispute between a father and a son-in-law, a father-in-law and a son-in-law. This should have been settled over a steak dinner. They should have been able to figure this out. But they didn't, and it escalates into a national economy of Philistia being wrecked. Then it escalates into two people being burned to death. Then it escalates into 3,000 people on a warpath. Then it escalates to Samson holding the jawbone and killing 1,000 people. It started with a civil dispute, but it ended with a jawbone. It started here. But just like you, just like me, it escalates and escalates and escalates, and it ends with somebody holding a jawbone. It ends with somebody just deciding they are going to get justice. In the New Testament, as people of the cross, we are called to a different kind of standard. Paul says this to the Romans in Romans chapter 12. If you turn over to the New Testament, Paul says, as people of the cross, as people that recognize that the tomb of Jesus is empty, you're called to a different way of life in a world that gets bent on revenge. He says, do not repay Chapter 12, verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful instead to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, as a Christian, as a disciple of Jesus, live at peace with everyone. What does he say in the next verse? Do not take revenge, my dear friends, as good as it feels, as right as you may be, do not take revenge, but leave room. And then he adds this, which is an interesting way to look at it. He says, do not take revenge, but leave room for God's wrath. We're going to come back to this. For it is written, he introduces God to this, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Do not take revenge. Don't let it go from the civil dispute to the jawbone. The problem is revenge is sexy, isn't it? Revenge feels good. There's a part of us that, man, we crave revenge. We, we look forward to getting revenge. There's something about it that, that just appeals to, to everybody. To get revenge, there's a part of your heart that gets bent that way. And it's because revenge, the behavior of revenge, the action of revenge, it comes from a sense of justice that all of us have, whether you're a Christian, whether you're not a Christian. Every human being has a sense of justice inside of them, and that's where revenge flows from. You can think of it this way, whether you're a Christian or whether you're not a Christian, we all live with some sort of code, some sort of uh, sense of right and wrong in our heart. It could come from your faith, parts of it probably come from your faith, part of it probably come from the neighborhood that you grew up in, some of it comes from your parents, some of it might have come from a, a movie that you watch, but, but we all carry around a code of right and wrong, of what people should do and how people should behave. Everybody has this. Uh, you could go find the worst criminal in the world and you could punch them in the face and they would say, hey, you can't do that because we all have a code of how people should behave and the switch flips for you and the switch flips for me when somebody violates our code when all of a sudden we see someone do something that they shouldn't do and there's this sense in us that are they going to get away with that that's not just when someone steps on against our code, when someone violates our sense of right and wrong and how the world should work, there is something in us that want to tip the scales of justice and make this world have order again. And there's nothing more central to being a human being than craving justice. That's where revenge comes from. 
craving justice, wanting to see evil repaid with evil. It's inside all of us, a craving for justice. We saw this on, uh, as a nation, 9-11, September 11th, 2001, 14 years ago, when Osama bin Laden had planes flown into the World Trade Center and the Pentagon and the, the greatest national tragedy, the, the worst uh, crime committed on American soil. And for 11 years, a manhunt went on, an international manhunt looking for the man who did this, and we could not find him anywhere. 11 years, $25 million reward. We, we, we could not find him anywhere. And there was this national sense of we want justice. We want justice. He needs to pay. He needs to pay. During that stretch of time, the most watched show on American television became CSI. <laughs> We couldn't get enough of these shows. Every night, there was another one coming out. There was CSI in Miami. There was CSI in New York. There was CSI Waxahachie. It was like every other, <laughs> like, uh, it was just constantly, like a new, a new CSI. In reality, as a nation, we could not get justice. But man, every week, we could tune into the television and we could get justice. We could watch somebody on these shows get what they deserve because we all long for justice. We all crave the world to have this order to it. It's in you and it's in me. It's in all of us. I remember several weeks ago, I was uh, flying uh, out of Love Field and I uh, get on this plane and it was, we we're already running a few minutes behind. And this lady comes on the plane, she's drunk and she's belligerent. And she's arguing with the, uh, the flight attendant something about a wedding dress. And this argument is going on for, you know, back and forth, back, nobody's even quite sure what they're arguing about or what they're saying. And uh, everybody on the plane's fastened to the front of the plane to watch this. And now people are grumbling, people are running late. There's just kind of this, uh, you, know, what, you know, what is going on? And finally, after about 10 minutes of this, the pilot walks out of the cockpit and he looks at this lady, looks at the flight attendant, and he says to this lady, that's it, enough, get off the plane. We've had enough. And the plane erupted in applause. <laughs> People were, the guy next to me, he was like, could not get enough of it. It was as if we had witnessed justice being served together and it felt so good. Somebody got what they deserved. We crave justice. This is where revenge comes from. I remember a few years ago, I was driving down a road and uh, it was about a 55 mile an hour speed zone. And this car comes whipping around me, uh, 80, 90 miles an hour. And uh, you've had those moments where you just tense up, you know, and uh, all of a sudden, uh, and this never happens, does it? Uh, a cop comes out from behind some trees and pulls this guy over. And it was, I wanted to put on a worship song. I mean, it was just, it felt so good. It was like, yes. And um, I'm not kidding. I turned my car around. I got off the exit, came back around. I just wanted to see it. It's like I had to watch. You ever had one of those moments? I just, I wanted to go Old Testament. I wanted to like get out of my car, build a monument, call this Jawbone Hill, you know. <laughs> the place God intervened, you know, it was just, ah, oh, it feels so good. It feels so good. Justice, justice feels good. And those moments in our life where we end up grabbing a Jawbone is because there's this sense, is, are they just gonna get away with it? Did anybody see that? Is anybody gonna do anything about that? 
Is there, it's this longing, is there a higher power? Is there any sense of accountability in this world? Is there a God who even sees the wrong that was done to me or was done to someone else? And there's this thing in us that says the world has to have order to it. And if nobody's gonna do something, I'm grabbing a jawbone. I'm going in. I am gonna serve justice. And we will do horribly immoral things for what feels like a really moral reason. And notice what Paul says. Notice these words again. In Romans chapter 12, he says this. He says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. It feels good. As people of the cross, we're called to a different way. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Well, how do you do that? He says, verse 19, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room. And this is the strangest phrase in the world. He says, leave room for God's wrath. In fact, let's all just say that together. Let's all just say, leave room together. Let's try it on the count of three. One, two, three. Leave room. What are we supposed to do when you want to grab a jawbone and go after somebody? We're supposed to leave room. Leave room. Resist the urge to grab the jawbone. Resist the urge. The most difficult thing you will do as a disciple of Jesus when someone's wronged you or caused you pain or your switch flips is to take a deep breath I'm leaving room. I'm gonna leave room. I'm gonna trust that God is in charge. I'm gonna trust that God judges people, not me. I'm gonna trust that there is a higher law. I'm gonna trust that there is a God who's in control. I'm leaving room. I'm leaving room. Because the temptation will be to stand in that gap and pick up a jawbone and say, there is no sense of justice in this world unless I do something about it. And God says, leave room. I'm God. Because when we get revenge, here's what we're essentially doing. We're saying, God, you're not very good at your job. God, you don't serve punishment fast enough. You don't serve it severe enough. So I'm gonna stand in that gap and I'm picking up a jawbone and I'm going after him because you obviously aren't gonna do it. And as disciples of Jesus, as people of the cross, we're called, leave room. I'm going to trust that you're God. I'm gonna trust that you saw that. I'm gonna trust that it angers you. I'm gonna trust that their sin does not go unchecked and does not go unnoticed. I am going to leave room and I'm not gonna pick up the jawbone. I'm gonna pledge my allegiance to the cross, not the jawbone. And I'm not gonna go after him. It's the most difficult thing that you can do. You can think of it this way, that revenge is not about a conflict between you and somebody else. Revenge is about a conflict between you and God. Revenge is not about a conflict. It is on the surface level and that needs to be dealt with, but it's not about a conflict between you and that person. Revenge comes down to a conflict between you and God of whether or not in those moments when someone's hurt you, caused you pain, when your switch flips, do you believe that God is good at his job? And are you gonna take a deep breath and step back and leave room and leave room for God to be God? This is not some sort of Christian, uh, you just need to let people steamroll you sort of thing. 
there may need to be such severe, you may need to keep the restraining order. You, you may need to press charges. There are certain people, for some of us, that have hurt you so bad, they've caused you so much pain, you could never be in a, in a room with that person again. It, it doesn't need to go back to the way it was. But what it does mean for us as people of the cross, it means that we are not gonna get locked like two rams in some sort of cycle of revenge that escalated and escalated and escalated. Instead, we are gonna be the ones that say, I'm throwing in the jawbone. I'm not gonna keep this thing going. I'm not gonna keep going after him. I love this quote from Lewis Smedes, the famous author. He says it this way. He says, the problem with revenge is that it never gets what it wants. It never evens the score, does it? Fairness never comes. The chain reaction set off by every act of vengeance always takes its unhindered course. It ties both the injured and the injurer to an escalator of pain. An escalator of pain. It starts with a civil dispute. It's gonna end with a jawbone. It's just gonna keep going and keep going. Some of us, if you wrote a biography of your family, uh, it would be called Escalator of Pain. It, ju- it just, and you're not even sure why people are fighting anymore. It goes back to some dispute between relatives that you never met, but it just keeps going and it just keeps going. Some of us this week, you, you need to call somebody on the phone and say, man, I'm, I'm, I'm putting down the jawbone. <laughs> some of us need to send an email, a coworker, some of us, that department, that your department's always at war with, say, hey, uh, it's time. I, I gotta, I look ridiculous holding this jawbone. <laughs> It's time somebody needs to end the revenge cycle. And as a disciple of Jesus, it starts with me. It starts with me. It starts with me. I, man, I'm I'm throwing in the jawbone. I'm not gonna keep this thing going. I'm not gonna let this just keep escalating and escalating and the people and and the bloodshed just keep spreading. I, as a disciple of Jesus, I pledge allegiance to the cross, not the jawbone. And I'm gonna live a different kind of a life. Uh, who, who is it that you need to have that conversation with? Man, I just, I just want you to know, I, I've grabbed the jawbone in the past. This could change families. If it's just on your way home from church today, you just looked at your wife, looked at your husband, looked at your kids, say, hey, uh, man, we, we've been grabbing the jawbone way too often here. It's time. As dad, as mom, I'm just, I'm gonna be first. I'm just, no more. No more. We're people of the cross. We are not people of the jawbone. It would change families. It would change offices. I love what Peter says in 1 Peter in describing Jesus. He says this, 1 Peter chapter 2, he says in verse 21, he says, to this you were called. He said, well, this is a difficult life. It is a difficult life. He says, but to this you were called. Why? Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He entrusted the situation to God. He said, God, I'm gonna assume here, I'm gonna leave room that you are a good God, a just God who sees it, knows it, counts my pain, knows it hurts, but I'm gonna leave room. I'm gonna leave room. One of the most moving things you could ever do as a Christian is to go read the account of the cross. And the worst thing that could ever happen to somebody all happens to Jesus. He spit on, beat down, 
murdered, stripped naked in public and murdered on a cross. And he never once picks up the jawbone. Never once. He says, I'm ending that cycle. It's going to stop at the cross. And we're called uh, to be those kind of, we're called in a Good Friday kind of a world to go be the Easter people. The kind of people that live differently and set a different model in our family, in our workplaces, and in our homes. To pledge allegiance to the cross and not the jawbone. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for the cross. We hang it around our necks. We hang it in churches. It's a reminder that you bring life to the world. But God, it's not just some sort of distant, ethereal, far off, one day when we die it has implications. It calls us to a different way of life in this world. You did not retaliate, you did not respond. God, I pray for families here, I pray for a dad just to have the courage. There's been a war, it's been going on for a long time. Would he be the one who says, you know what, I'm putting the jawbone down. Pray for sons, pray for daughters, I pray for students, I pray for moms, and coaches. God, would we be people in the community, would we be the kind of families, would we be the kind of church where so many churches get characterized by the jawbone life? Would we look different, sound different, talk differently, forgive differently because of the cross? We thank you for that. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.